All right, welcome into episode 97 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Alongside Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. We're continuing our run here through the uh, the previews of the 2017-18 season, talking to some people that are closer to the teams than pretty much anybody, and we'll start with Tracy Myers here of uh, CSN Chicago to get some insight on the Blackhawks. Tracy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you all doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, Craig, you want to start us off here? This is kind of your your focus for most of the season. That's 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 just not fair. Well, giving, it's my passion, I admit. I grew up there, but yes, I, I do I do cover another team. But I feel like right. you have the most questions about this team. Well, How's that? Is I'll that start fair? with I'll start with the big one. Uh, Tracy, have the internal expectations for this team changed, or is it still cup or bust in Chicago? I think it's always cup or bust here. Um, you know, that's that's just what this team has built itself into. That's just what the expectations have become in the last, you know, seven or eight seasons, starting with 2010, I guess maybe even 2009, you know, what, what they were able to do as far as building up. But, uh, you know, the bar has been set here for a while now. And so that's the belief every year is, is you better go far, if you, you know, and, and contend for a couple of much as possible or as close as possible, which is why last year was such an incredible disappointment to this team. So uh, there's no doubt, uh, you know, they do that every year. But uh, when you have years like this past one where they kind of filled so spectacularly, the pressure and the desire to get back to there is just that much bigger. All right, well, we'll get into specifics in just a moment. But with all the changes this offseason, is that realistic to believe that this team is still a cup contender? Ooh, you know, that's that's what a lot of us have been asking ourselves because you look at this team right now and this is not, uh, you know, I, I covered the 2013 team and the 15 Cup teams and, and the depth on both of those teams were pretty incredible. Um, you know, forward, defense, goaltending, you name it. And I wouldn't categorize this coming team on paper being the same. You know, there are a lot of question marks. There are a lot of holes as far as I'm concerned, especially on defense. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of, I think there's more uncertainty with this group than there's probably been in the last couple of years, just because, you know, again, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time with the Blackhawks, it's, it's contracts and money issues and having to let people go and everything. And so, uh, this is definitely going to be a different team because of that. Tracy, you mentioned the defense. Uh, obviously, Duncan Keith is, is still just fine, but Brent Seabrook doesn't look like himself, or at least he didn't last year. And, and right. there's so much pressure on those two guys. How do you see this blue line sort of unfolding, and where do you see Connor Murphy fitting into it? Yeah, uh, you know, we actually talked to Connor on uh, Friday, the Blackhawks had their annual convention here, and um, he's, like everybody else, very anxious to get everything going here. But, uh, yeah, where he fits in right now, who knows? Uh, Coach Joe Quenville talked the other day about what he does with Keith and Seabrook. I, you know, it's been so typical for us to see the two of them together, but the last year or two when they've had to change some defensive personnel, they've also separated those two to kind of increase their depth. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's at least the way they start this year because you put Keith and Seabrook together, and that's great, but then who do you put with Murphy? It's uh, a lot of unknowns. That. So I wouldn't be surprised to start that, you know, maybe Keith is with Murphy and then, you know, maybe Michael Kempney with Seabrook. And then after that, even I'm not sure what happened. So, um, <laughs> but that's just my guess as of now. But, uh, you know, as much as we joke about Q's line blender through the years, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, if we see it on the defense too, at least 
until they get things figured out here. Tracy, it, maybe this had some, I'll, I'll let you answer this, maybe it had something to do with the contracts for the forwards and, and the situation they, with the cap, but when you look at the problems they had on that blue line last year that were so glaring in the series against Nashville, is it surprising to see both Nicholas Chalmerson and, and TVR head out the door for a unit that was already lacking some depth? I, the only reason I'm surprised both of those guys are gone is, is yeah, because of their, one, because of one contract situation, the other because of, uh, you know, having to expose a certain number of guys uh, to the expansion draft. Um, I think you were going to lose TBR one way or another, be it through a trade or be it through that expansion draft. But as far as Jarmelson's concerned, you know, before everything really got going, before the Blackhawks started making moves, I put him down as one of the likely candidates. We all did because of the contract he had. He has one of the friendlier ones on a team full of otherwise a lot, maybe even too many, no movement clauses. So uh, they were kind of forced into this, and, and they forced themselves into this, I should say, because they it's all lovely to give players that luxury of, of a full no-movement clause, but then you put yourself in a situation like this where the guys who have the limited ones, who, you know, you have some wiggle room, and it turns out that the guy that had that the most was also the one they could least afford to lose. But, uh, you know, as far as those two being gone, yeah, it came down a lot to the contract situations being as friendly, and I use that term, you know, with a grain of salt considering what it's doing to the Blackhawks' defense, but they, they were tradable. Tracy, while we're still on the defense, can you just kind of tell some of the Coyotes fans here in Phoenix what to expect from a guy like Nicholas Jalmerson, who seems like he played a huge role for the Blackhawks in those cups, but also kind of flies under the radar nationally? Um, you know, if, if anybody has uh, seen the last couple of years with, with the Blackhawks, I mean, just a, a tremendously uh, stalwart, just a fantastic, consistent defenseman. Um, you know, you look at it over the last couple of years, and, and Duncan Keith is Duncan Keith, although he was hurt last year, and, um, you know, you wonder when things start taking a toll for him because of the minutes he plays. Like you said, Brent Seabrook is coming off a, a rough year. He was not that good last year, but through it all, Jarmelson has been incredibly strong, uh, fantastic shot blocker, and uh, another thing the Blackhawks will miss, great on the penalty kill, and uh, despite the fact that he blocks as many shots as he does he's missed very few games due to injury and um you know that that health that longevity and, and what he's been able to do uh it's been tremendous for the blackhawks so yeah the the coyotes are getting a tremendous leader in jarmelson he's not afraid to say what he thinks or where he thinks the team is and um you know on the ice there's you know coach joe quenville constantly called him a warrior and uh, that's a pretty good pretty good nickname for him to have because he really was before we talk about some of the familiar faces that are coming back to town let's talk about one more departure how will the loss of marion hosa impact the blackhawks and then what can they do to help address that at the deadline when they can finally use the the cap benefits yeah uh you know that that's a tough one that's it's a personal for me you know i just enjoyed watching marion hosa as a player i i think it, and I've said this often, it was one thing what he was able to do as far as on the scoring end, but I just used to love to watch him play defense. I loved watching him steal the puck. Um, my longstanding theory is that he used to give up the puck every now and then just to steal it back because he was so good at it. Um, 
and he really was. Uh, you know, we yeah, we always joke that uh, during battle drills, whoever used to face Hosa during practice, we always felt bad for the guy. Um, and even a guy like Marcus Kruger, who was so good at that stuff, uh, you know, you're facing Marion Hosa, you're really, he, he's just so good at using the stick and the body to keep you away. Um, you miss that. You miss the scoring. You miss um, the personality. You miss the leadership. You miss that voice. You miss the presence. You miss the penalty kill. Um, you miss an all-around player and, and one who is coming off a very good season last year. You know, you saw what he was able to do after the year before where you thought, ooh, maybe, maybe he's losing it. But uh, then he went out on the ice, and, and he was one of the better, more consistent Blackhawks last year. So, um, you know, they're, they're trying to, as far as the LTIR, I still think they have to address defense at some point. Maybe they use some of that money toward that. But, um, you know, they're, they're going to miss the player more than they'll ever enjoy what they gain out of it money-wise, which it's not going to be what they – it's not going to equal what they miss. Is what I'm trying to say. Do you even try and replace a player like that, or do you just move on with the personnel and maybe another direction? He's like you said, yeah. he's just such a complete player and such a unique player. I probably don't have I, anyone. I mean, yeah, that that's the tough part. It's you know how how do you replace him? You know, part part of bringing Brandon Sod back that was part of it um, because he's another one you know who who kind of has that complete player mentality and learn from Hosa on his first go around here. Um, so he'll help in some respect, but boy, you can't get enough of that guy. And um, Caves will miss him for sure because, you know, they had such a great, uh, first they had such a great working relationship, but, you know, they, Caves will tell you how much he learned from Hosa. And uh, having another guy who played the defense and, and was so good, as good as he was, I should say. Um, I don't know if you can replace that guy. You know, you think of some of the great players. Sometimes it's just you're not going to find another version of that of that guy, you know. And I don't know if you can find another version of Hosea. If there's something kind of close that they could find, sure, go for it. But good luck. Good luck. Tracy, when you look at that Brandon Saad move, how much of, of that trade was made in an effort to sort of get Jonathan Taves' production back up? And in your mind, what what what, uh, what do Jonathan Taves' numbers need to look like considering how much money he's making? Oh, it was totally, to, I think, to bring stability back to that top line because the last two years it was rough. Um, you know, it, it went from being one of the most consistent lines they had and then last two years it's been the second line. That, that's been that consistent personnel and, and performance and everything. So there's no doubt, um, you know, as much as Quenville was probably smiling getting Brandon Sod back, I think Taze was probably beaming ear, ear to ear that day because <laughs> he's, he's getting a, a left wing who knows him, who he had chemistry with, and that's something that he didn't have to worry about for, for the time that Brandon Sod was here, whereas the last two years it's been a revolving door at that position. And, and yeah, they found Schmaltz there and that worked for a little bit, but, um, you know, there was just something about Sod and Taves and there's no doubt, um, you know, when it comes to Taves, I think this is a very important year for him in terms of, okay, the last few years, there might've been a bit of an excuse of some fatigue coming off as much hockey as, as he and some of the other guys were playing. And the other thing is, um, you know, the numbers were down. And part of that was because they were going back and forth with line mates and everything. And it would have been nice for him to have some consistency. But if Saad brings that, 
back, and Taves numbers have to definitely be up this year. You mentioned how consistent the second line has been the last couple of years. Now without Artemi Panarin, who's a, who are the candidates to replace him on that line? And is one of those options Alex Debrinkat? You know, I'm I'm not sure about Debrinkat right now because when we were talking to Q and and Bowman the other day, and and I preface this with a big asterisk when it comes to prospect camp because it is what it is. You know, I, you can only do so much judging in July. And, and also the prospect camp was set up different this year. It wasn't a bunch of scrimmages like the Blackhawks usually do. So I don't know if you could really evaluate players like you could in the past. But, um, you know, Debrinket's name wasn't the first that Bowman or Q mentioned. Uh, it's really wowing them uh, the first couple of days in July. We'll see what happens in September. But in terms of the guys that they think are most likely right now, it's Patrick Sharp. Now that he's back, it's uh, Nick Schmaltz because he played with uh, Kane last year a little bit when uh, Artem Anisimov was hurt. So there's a possibility that he gets a shot at that too. Although, again, you look at some of the holes that the Blackhawks have in the lineup right now, they're missing, you know, they, they got rid of two bottom six centers. And Schmaltz does feel better at center, so you end up plugging him in there instead and, uh, you know, go with Sharp. He's very familiar with Kane on that second line. So um, it, 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 I, I always hate saying this, but, you know, it's, it's a Quenville-led Blackhawks team, so um, won't be surprised if you see line changes. But I talked to Artem Anisimov about this the other day, and he said, listen, I'm, yeah, I'm used to having the same two line mates the last two years. Whoever's there now will figure it out and, and we'll go with it and hopefully be as successful as they were with Panarin. We talked about the reasons for bringing Saad back, but the belief that Panarin, well, I mean, there, there had to be some money exchanged. And, and, and we've also heard possibly that they, weren't, they were concerned that they wouldn't be able to sign Artemi Panarin down the road. But if you could dive into that a little bit more for us, explain the thinking there. And then also, how painful was it to lose such a dynamic presence like Artemi Panarin at such a young age? Well, the funny part is, is I think Brandon Saad's a year younger than Panarin, which cracks me up to no end because it doesn't seem that way. Um, but uh, there's no doubt I, I laughed about this when it first happened, that the irony of the Brandon Saad situation is that two years ago they couldn't afford to sign him to this deal, and now this deal is going to save them money-wise uh, two years from now. <laughs> because the, the deal that Panarin is on right now, same thing, basically, but... Uh, there's no doubt if he keeps going at the rate that he was, probably weren't going to be able to afford him in two years. You know, he got $6 million for, for this year and next year. What does he get two years from now if he keeps going? $7 million, $8 million more? Um, the Blackhawks would have been right back in the situation that uh, they've been in with so many guys where they, they just got priced out. So um, it definitely saves them now, irony of all ironies. But... Um, you know, with, with Panarin, I mean, Kane's definitely going to miss him. I, I don't know if I've ever seen two guys click the way that those two have. Um, but I think they just ultimately needed that sod presence, especially in the postseason. You know, that guy who's willing to be the bull in the china shop and, and really just push the pace and, and get to the net and everything and more of a power forward type. So, uh, you know, the sad thing is is you got to give up something to get something back and um you know the the money down the road that they wouldn't have on Panarin is is part of the reason 
but uh, I think they definitely needed that side presence back in the lineup. Tracy, if they end up leaning on Patrick Sharp in a top six role where they're expecting production, I mean, I know he was hurt a lot last year, but his numbers weren't yeah. great. How much does he have left? You know, that's, I mean, that was my question this, this whole offseason, and uh, absolutely nothing against Patrick Sharp, but he's, yeah, he's 35 years old, and, um, you know, the concussions were tough enough, which it looks like he's passed all of that. That cost him a lot of time last year, but coming off a major hip surgery, and he says he's fine. He's been skating, and, and he's more than ready to go. Uh, Bowman says he's fine. Um, but that's the question I do have is, is that, um, you know, we've seen this before with the Blackhawks taking former Blackhawks, and I think Brandon saw his exception because he's 24 years old and still in his prime, but Andrew Ladd, Brian Campbell, Johnny Oduya, uh, Christopher Stieg, they've gone down this road before, and it's been pretty mixed to meh results um and this this is kind of my concern with this one and and you look at it on paper with the chemistry and and when he is healthy what he can do great same was true with andrew ladd two years ago and and it failed spectacularly in the first round so there's one thing to say yeah look at what we've done in the past but rekindling that isn't always easy so um that that's my concern going in is that there's going to be so much expectation to uh, have the player that he was three or four years ago. Well, times change and, and players get older and everything, so I don't know if it's going to happen. Tracy, I want to get to the internal relations of this team in just a moment, but one, one more thing on personnel. Are there any other prospects we should be watching for that could make an impact this coming season? You know, the the only... The major two I'm curious about is, is Debrinkit, and um, uh, the other one is Alexander Fortin. And um, mainly because, uh, now Fortin, we didn't get to see at Prospect Camp because he's coming off a sports hernia surgery that he had about three, three and a half weeks ago. So, But he'll be ready for training camp. He was very close last year. I mean, he actually stayed with the team through the early part of October when they were making the final roster decisions because he was that impressive. Um you know, can he repeat that? And if so, is there room? I mean, the Blackhawks signed a bunch of, you know, depth forwards here at, at uh, July 1st. And, um, you know, so where do you wedge these guys in? I mean, if they're good enough, you find a place and you figure it out. But um, be it Dabrinkit, be it 410, I think these are guys that you want to be playing a lot of minutes. You want them to be learning and, and not just sitting on the sidelines or just playing five, ten minutes a night. So, um, I, I'm curious. I, I think both would really have to knock it out of the park in September to uh, to gain spots on this team, uh, mainly because they're still so young and uh, have a lot of future ahead of them. So, um, but I'd still want to see what they do here in the fall. All right, I want to rewind to the draft at the United Center, where the Coyotes and Blackhawks seem to make all the news, uh, <laughs> and, and much of it even before the draft started. Um, so I, I guess I'll ask a, a, a very open-ended question. Are Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman dining together these days? And, and how would you characterize that infamous Q hotel exit? <sighs> yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked to Q on Saturday. Because, yeah, he was not there on Friday, which is very unusual for day one. Most of the time it's the other way around for him. We see him first day and then Saturday's off somewhere. Um, you know, we asked him, is was he upset about the Jarmelson trade and is that why he didn't show he said no um 
I personally won't be surprised if we find out that that was, you know, which has kind of kept him away that day. Again, I go back to what I said earlier about Jarmilson. I don't think there was a shocking factor about him being traded because of contract. Now, I don't know if something was said behind the scenes where, hey, it doesn't matter, we'll find a way to keep him, and then it changed. But, um, you know, it's not a surprise that he was gone. It's, it's unfortunate, especially from a coaching standpoint, because Quenville absolutely loved Jarmilson for all the reasons we listed previously. How do you not? That, that, that's the type of guy that you win titles with. But um, Quenville did say this at, at, um, at the draft that day, and, and I think he's absolutely right. He said coaches are in the win-now business and GMs are more looking ahead. They want to win, too, of course, immediately, but they have to look down the line. And that's just the God's honest truth about both jobs. And I think it was kind of, it seemed like Quenville saying, listen, we're, we're kind of on different pages in terms of what we want at the moment. But that's each job description. Um, I think there's always dysfunction between worker and boss, regardless of the job. <laughs> I, I think all of us can attest to that at some point in our careers. Um, can they make it work? They have up to this point, and I think they'll they'll do their level best to keep trying it. But I'm, I'm sure there was a time or two this summer where they did not see eye to eye. If, if we get to the point where they're not making it work, whether that's a year from now or two or three years from now, do you have a sense of yeah. which one is more likely to go? You know, um, I, I know it's just always, I guess the, the first thought is always the coach. I wonder if it's the GM, depending on, on how this year goes. Um, you know, part of, of the Blackhawks' troubles the last two years come down to contracts. Um, you know, the Brian Bickle contract, and we all love Brian Bickle, and um, I, I wish him well in his retirement. It's too bad that he had to get into it as early as he did. Uh, but his contract was not a good one, and it kind of hamstrung them when they were trying to re-sign Brandon Saad and trying to re-sign Andrew Shaw, who they who they lost. Uh, the Brent Seabrook, Seabrook contract is not a good contract. Um, he's got seven years left, and if he keeps going from last year, which was not a good year, that that's going to be a really rough contract, and I, I don't know how you're going to come out from under it. So. Uh, yeah, there's been a couple signings lately that, you know, I don't understand where Thomas Shirko fits in. He's really not, uh, you know, the type of player that, that this team usually has. Um, it, there's a couple of deals that just kind of make you scratch your head. And so I wonder, depending again on, on what happens the next couple of years, if, you know, the, the powers that be look at that and say, okay, we've kind of been hamstrung by some of these choices at the top. And maybe that's where the change comes. All right, last question before we let you go, Tracy. Um, what kind of team are we looking at here with the Blackhawks next season? Is this still a team that contends for the division title? Is this a bubble team? Is this a team that could miss the playoffs? Who, uh, you know, I, I I would say I would say bubble to start. Um, although I thought they'd get off to a slower start last year, and boy was I wrong. But a lot of that was Crawford last yeah. year. Last, uh, you know, from. October to December, it was Crawford and Darling, I think, buoyed that team a lot. Um, but, you know, the holes on defense, you, you've got uh, uh, backup where you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, Darling and Ronta both came in as surprises and did very well. 
does Anton Forsberg follow in the same mold where he really doesn't have that much NHL experience, but doesn't doesn't hurt him. Um, you know, you're counting on Kane having another great year. You're counting on Ryan Hartman to have a great year after having 19 goals last season. Um, I don't know. I, I just there are a lot more questions for me coming into this year than there was last year. And then you also look at what other teams, especially in the Central, are doing. Nashville, what are they going to be like coming off of, um, you know, the the cup appearance? Are are they going to be strong again? Looks like they should be okay. Dallas is making some fantastic moves and finally address goaltending, which is their biggest Achilles heel. So, yeah, right now I think I would go with bubble. Um, There's just too many questions as far as I'm concerned coming into the season. Tracy Myers, great stuff. You can find her on Twitter at T-R-A-M-Y-E-R-S-C-S-N. Tracy, we appreciate the time, and uh, enjoy the rest of the offseason, okay? Especially Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will, yes. I'm, I'm leaving in a couple days. Very excited. So thank you, guys. It's a pleasure talking with you. All right, Trace. We'll see you down the road. All right, excellent insight there from Tracy Myers. Uh, Craig, I, I dare say that's pretty much the perfect example of why you want us to talk to people in the city who are extremely close to these uh, specific teams. I'm basically I'm setting up the soapbox for you to get on it right now. <laughs> yes, this as as we said last year, this is why we wanted these people on. Look, there's there's a lot of information floating out there on the web, even more so than ever before with with the current state of media, sports media, etc. But these are the boots on the ground. These are the people that are there every day talking to the sources. These are the kinds of people that you should be paying attention to when you're trying to get information on specific teams. Uh, she said a few things that stand out, and so we'll just react to those real quick before we get into the Carolina Hurricanes, who are basically just the junior version of the Chicago Blackhawks at this point. So weird, isn't it? Well, I mean, the Chicago's had some success, so we'll uh, we'll see. Maybe Carolina can do it without the uh, the cap issues. But one thing that just as I was listening to her talk and you know discussing potential roles for Patrick Sharp and where he may slide in, and maybe he's on that line, and, and with uh, Patrick Kane and Artem Anisimov, and you know the reason they went out and got Brandon Saad. It just kind of strikes me as very unique that a team voluntarily blew up a line like that Anisimov, Kane, and and uh, Panarin line. The only one that had been producing for them, yeah. Well, not just that. I mean, one of the best lines in hockey the last couple of years. And I understand that you know, there's contract issues and whatnot, but I can't remember a time a team took a line like that and voluntarily broke it up. What I also was thinking about with this is when you look two years down the road with Artemi Panarin's contract, the Blackhawks are concerned with two years down the road. I mean, the Blackhawks have always been in, whoa, what are we going to do this summer? What do we have to do this summer? Who do we have to shed or what do we have to blow up in order to get under the cap? You're worried about two years down the road? Maybe you should hang on to an asset like that. But, you know, you can make an argument that Brandon Saad is going to add a lot. If you talk to people like Tracy or Mark Lazarus or Chris Hind or Scott Powers, the people that cover this team. Name dropper. The, the opinions, talked all they've all been on the show. Yeah, yeah, friends of the show. All friends of the show. They'll all tell you, Brandon Saad's a more complete player than Artemi Panarin. But there's that, you know, there's that dynamic side. There's that put people in the seats kind of side to Artemi Panarin that's really going to be missed. Well, there's the one thing, too, I wouldn't be able to get past if I was a Blackhawks fan. And you just said it. You're looking two years down the road, which in itself is weird because you've got to figure this team's best window to win is probably now. But you're looking two years down the road and you're saying Panarin's going to cost too much. So that, in my mind, says you know in the, in the back of your mind that he's going to be really good the next two years. That's why he's going to cost too much. It's just... I know that it's more nuanced than just simply, we want Brandon Saad and we can't afford him and Panarin. I understand there's cap issues, but that was kind of an odd move. 
Yeah, but I also like that Tracy pointed out the irony of the whole scenario, which yeah. is they, they got rid of Brandon Saad because they could not afford him and then reacquired him because they could not afford, they think they cannot afford Artemi Panarin in two years. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Jalmerson, too, she had good insight on him, as we expected she would. But he's one of those guys that, you know, Coyotes fans I know are excited about him, and they're excited about the prospect of pairing him up with Oliver ekman Larson. But he is one of those guys that's sort of under the radar unless he's on your team. And, you know, she said he's just a very consistently strong player, does all that stuff, and is pretty durable as well. And I just, I want to get to the bottom of why Joel, Joel Quenville was upset on draft day. It doesn't sound like he was upset about getting Brandon Saad back. It sounds like he was upset about losing Nicholas Jalmerson, which makes a ton of sense because that's the sort of player as a coach you appreciate more than anybody else. Well, if you're dubbing the guy a warrior, if you're calling that player a warrior, clearly he has value to you. And you look at this blue line, they already had issues on this blue line last year. And you remove a piece like that, a glue guy, a fantastic, may, maybe the best defensive defenseman in the league in his prime, and an underrated puck mover in my mind. He stabilizes pairings. He's such a good player. I don't know at what point the mileage that he has on his body is going to impact him. That may become a factor. That that would probably be the biggest question mark you place on Chalmerson as he joins the Coyotes. But with what he's given the Blackhawks, it's hard to find a downside in this move right now. Also the simple notion. From the notion, Coyotes' perspective. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently uh, Chicago's finding a downside, especially... We all like Connor Murphy. I still think he has some upside. If he's really going to be brought in and put on their top defensive pairing with Duncan Keith, that is asking a lot of him if, if they, I'm assuming they still expect to, to challenge for the cup, whether outsiders believe they can or not. And you're bringing in Connor Murphy and saying you have to, there was times he was third pairing for the Coyotes last year. You have mm -hmm. to step in and be top pairing for a cup contender. And you talk about him playing on top pairing. They tried it with Oliver ekman Larson. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out. Now, he's, he's older, so maybe you mature into that role, but... To be honest, we've talked about this many times. We've said it several times on this podcast. When Connor Murphy went out the door, I can tell you the Coyotes viewed him as a number five defenseman. Yeah. That, and you said maybe his upside is he gets to be a second-pairing guy, but I don't see much more than that for Connor Murphy. And if he's playing with Duncan Keith, that speaks volumes about your situation on defense. And those, those are hard minutes, and that's yes, a lot are. of minutes. That's even more minutes than Ekman Larson typically plays five on five. So I, I, if that's the best they could find... A partner-wise for Duncan Keith, they're going to have even bigger problems than we've seen the last couple of years on that blue line. Even if Murph's able to do it, you're taking such a leap of faith, and that you're right. I think more than anything, it just speaks to their situation where they have to put a question mark next to Duncan Keith if that's the path they go down. Although Craig and you tweeted or retweeted this out yesterday, Connor Murphy's first video with the Blackhawks it was awesome. It was hilarious. And that wig. <laughs> <laughs> the wig and then who's your best friend on the team yeah. question and he's like I don't have any friends <laughs> I'm openly looking for friends uh, last thing on the Blackhawks before we get to the Carolina Hurricanes who also like to recycle former Blackhawks uh, the Blackhawks like to recycle former Blackhawks and as Tracy said in there and I think it's, it's an astute point you can't put Brandon Saad in that group because he's in his mid-20s he's still feasibly on the way up but guys like Christopher Stieg and Johnny Oduya and now Patrick Sharp I don't feel like this has worked for them in the past. Why are they doing it again? I don't know. It feels like desperation. Now, you look at the contract, there's no risk in terms of finances with Patrick Sharp. They're not paying him anything, but he's coming off that hip surgery, and that's, that's a big deal. And you can, Patrick Sharp is saying he's fine. What's he going to say? Well, the proof will be when he hits the ice. I don't know if he has anything left in the tank, but the sad thing about the Blackhawks, their current state, is they need him to have something left in the tank. They need him to produce. They need him playing in a top six role. That's the issue, it, because 
yes, they're getting him for cheap. So why not? You can go ahead and take a flyer on him. Why not? He was a dynamic player. But not if you're depending on him to produce offense in, in a top six role. Potentially on that line, he might have to replace Artemi Panarin, which is crazy. We talked about this when he signed, and I, I said something to the effect of this feels like a PR move. If you signed a player of equal talent that wasn't the name Patrick Sharp and wasn't a former Blackhawk, mm. that signing would have been looked at universally in that market most likely as, well, they didn't really get anybody. But because it's a familiar name, because it's a former Blackhawk, goes, oh, Patrick Sharp's back. Well, they don't realize, but no, the Patrick Sharp that left Chicago is not the Patrick Sharp that's going back to Chicago. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to the uh, Carolina Hurricanes? Chicago East. Yeah. I feel like recycling former Blackhawks is a good segue to Carolina. Uh, by my count, they have five former Blackhawks on the team. Is that uh, I that's think fair? it's six, actually. Is it six? Scott Darling, Marcus Kruger, TVR, Tebu Taravainen. They have Joaquin Nordstrom and they have Klaus Dahlbeck. Okay, you're ah. right. So I mean, that's former Coyotes, great. That's yeah, that's true. They got a couple former Coyotes in there too. That's that's basically a quarter of their roster is from Chicago. You look at the connections there. I mean, we've had him on the show as well. Their assistant GM is Rick Olchek. His his brother, of course, is Ed Olchek, who works for the Blackhawks right now. But beyond that, there's the uh, there's the whole Hartford Whaler connection between Francis and then the entire Blackhawk coaching staff, but I, I still don't get this. It's, it's, it's really weird to see that many former players from another team you know, being brought to this team. It's, it's crazy how the Hartford Whalers, I feel like they're behind everything in the NHL on some level. I mean, you've got our brokers. The, the, the Illuminati of the NHL. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I love it. <laughs> Ron Francis, Joel Quenville, and Dave Tippett, and those are just the ones I can think of. Randy Carlisle was a Whaler, too. I mean, they're, they're kind of everywhere around the NHL. And, of course, Carolina used to be the Hartford Whalers. I'm just going to start net with them, with, with another former Blackhawk, Scott Darling. You bring him in... I, Presumably to be the starter. So now you're telling Cam Ward he's the backup. And Craig, you've probably seen Scott Darling closer than than most. Is he ready to be a full time starter? I guess what is full time if you have Cam Ward? I mean, could they feasibly split this if they had to and just sort of ride the hot hand? I suppose they could. I mean, I don't know what their plans are yet. Scott Darling is, you know, he's he's not a young guy. That's that's part of this. He's been bouncing around for a while. Now he did play well in Chicago, and they weren't a great possession team the last two years. They weren't a great defensive team. So. That says something about his ability, and you know they, they liked him enough that they, they hung on to him over other options, other, other pretty good options. So maybe he's ready for this jump, but it's still a, it's a leap of faith when you push one of these guys into this role, especially a guy who's, who's struggled to find it for so long, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I get, they're not going to get much from Cameron Ward anymore. I, I think we've kind of seen over, while he's had small periods of success, Pretty much over the last five or so years, you're, you're getting a below-average starting goaltender out, out of Cam Ward. And you, know, you can't look at his contract. You can't look at what he was seven, eight years ago and say that's the player that we have. So they're going to need Scott Darling to be a starting caliber player if they're hoping to make the playoffs. And again, this is a team we've talked about. It's got to start playing good hockey when it matters and when they're not 20 points out of a playoff spot and then decide to get hot for the final month and a half of the season. How happy is Bill Peters that Eddie lacks on the other side of the continent right now? It seemed like all he really cared about at the end of last season. Uh, Jamie mentioned it right there. Carolina finished great last season. They were... Did the year before, too? Yes, their MO, yeah. But they've started so terribly every season that that's kind of an issue. Well, it goes back to a point Craig's brought up on the show that Dave Tippett's talked about in various scenarios of... 
winning when it still matters, when you're still playing for something, when it still means to you. more and says more about your team than winning when you're already out of the picture and there's no pressure. And the Carolina the Hurricanes have not shown that that's a team that can win when there's actually pressure on them to try to win. Well, and that's always a fine line, but, I mean, that's, that's, there's obviously something to that. They were playing teams where those games still mattered, but they just didn't matter as much to Carolina. There wasn't as much pressure. And now I look at the Metro, and that's already a difficult division, and now you add in Nolan Patrick and Nico Heashier, and whether they play this year or not, teams around Carolina towards the bottom of, of that division are adding potential franchise players. They really haven't. And so I just I can't tell if Carolina's on the way up like we thought they were last year or if they're even if they're getting better, if they're going to fall further down in that division. Well, the question becomes, who would have to miss? Who, who can reasonably miss the postseason, do you think, in the Eastern Conference that could get them in? Because I think we all think Tampa Bay is going to get back in. Because now we're looking for one team to already fall out. Assuming that the, the Islanders and the Flyers then also don't take steps forward to become playoff teams, you still need to knock one other team out of the postseason. Is, yeah. Are we just going to just knock Ottawa because we feel like it and hope somebody else, hope Toronto moves up there? Or, I mean, who, who else are you going to knock out? I, I mean, you could make a case, I guess, against Ottawa and Boston, although it seems unfair since Ottawa was in the Eastern Conference Finals, but it doesn't matter because you can't knock all of those teams. They, they can't all come out of the Atlantic. I mean, the other way to look at it is that most five teams out of the Metro can make it, and Washington, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and the Rangers are all playoff teams. So... The Islanders in Philadelphia both finished ahead of Carolina last year, too, and Philadelphia just added Nolan Patrick. I mean, they yeah. have been anything but the model of consistency lately, but it's, there's not an easy path for Carolina. No, you're hoping Ottawa, Boston both fall out, Toronto, Tampa Bay move up in there, and then you can maybe get the last wild card you spot. Sneak into but I, I, so I don't, to me, progress for this team is being in contention throughout the season, being in contention early on, winning games early on. If they're sitting at the very bottom of the standings or near the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings at the beginning of the year, I almost don't care how they finish because we've seen this song and dance before. Real progress is starting to win early and being in contention the entire time. And whether they get in or not, might just they're not as good as the teams in front of them right now. They're just not. But, but I, I want to see tangible progress early in the season before I say they've actually taken another step forward. How do they get as good as those teams? I mean... This is where Craig jumps in and says, draft a franchise center, right? I mean, that, that's basically what's... It's not the only thing they're missing, but that's how you get better. Sure. I mean, it's a critical piece. I mean, certainly to winning a cup, but to being in contention even for one, I think you have to have that piece. And that's, I mean, I always... That's always where I go first. They're in and the blue line. And when I look at this center position, you know, I basically asked you guys this question before the podcast. How do you feel about this center position? They added Marcus Kruger. We just heard from Tracy about him. He's a... He's a great bottom six center still. He, he does a lot of good things, penalty killing, great defensive player. But when you go into the season with Rask, Stahl, Ryan, and Kruger as your four centers, are you, are you feeling good enough about that position? I think that, that therein lies the problem. I like the depth on the team. The problem is, is they don't have top players. They don't have that top forward line that says, wow, that, that's a line we have to focus on and stop. They have a lot of good pieces in the middle but that can only get you so far, especially in the Eastern Conference, when, you, when they do have a number of star centermen that are right above them in the standings all the way up the line. I think that's the key point to focus on. I mean, a lot of times you guys will talk about how you have to have a true number one center, but it's in the context of making a deep playoff run or winning a Stanley Cup. The problem for Carolina, and I like a lot of the moves they've made, a lot of the more subtle moves, and, and, and sort of taking advantage of a team like Chicago needing to, to, to purge some cap uh, constraint issues, but... 
in the Metro, you almost have to have that center just to get out of the Metro, or just to get into the playoffs as a Metro. This is not, you know, the Pacific or, or even the Central last year. You, you have to have that number one center because everybody else in your division potentially, really everybody else, depending what Heeshear and Nolan Patrick are, I mean, you've got John Tavares and you've got Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Nicholas Baxter. Everybody's got one in that division. By the way, we'll just, we'll just let Luke slide for just glossing over former best player in the league, Claude Giroux. I just thought that was implied. As when you say number one center, you think Claude Giroux first, and then everybody else is in the secondary. But you group. know, it, it's kind of again, it's like in the NFL if you don't have a quarterback. Yes, you can still win. There are ways you can win, but you have to be so good in so many other areas to account for yeah. the fact you don't have a quarterback. You have to be so good in so many other areas to account for not having a true number one center. Who's the most exciting player on this team? Is it Sebastian Ajo? Well, you want to talk about him. I do. I know. You, you don't know that. You get, well, you gave us a veiled reference to him where you just changed the letters of his first and last I name. I just said his name rhymes with Mabastian Tahoe. That's possible. And as it turns out, and this is the good Sebastian Ajo, too. There's two Sebastian Ajos, but the other one's not, not as good. It's like, it's like the two Eric Carlsons? <laughs> yes, it's just like that. Uh, I mean, they've got some exciting young players other than him, Tevu Teravine, and Noah Hannafin's maybe not as exciting because of the position he plays, but I, don't know, I mean, they've been drafting well. It's just, they. it seems like there's three walls in front of them to get to the playoffs, whereas a team in... If they were in the Atlantic, would you pick them as a potential playoff team this year? No. Okay. Well, I tried. Sorry, Carolina. I gave yeah. it my best. I'm with Jamie on this one. I think they're going to be a... Their best-case scenario is being a bubble team that's yeah. contending for a playoff spot, but I don't, I don't see them quite getting there. What about next year when they get Jonathan Taves? Does that make it easier? Taves, wow. Well, I mean... Oh, you're just assuming the Blackhawks will get rid of one of those pieces well, because yeah. they'll be in KPL again yeah. and... Carolina will, of course, take an ex-Blackhawk. So, okay, yeah, makes sense. You, you can follow the pattern pretty, sure. pretty easily there. And Chicago can bring back Brian Campbell again or something to make up for Stan it. Makita. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's worst case for Carolina? Is this like a team that could potentially contend for a top three pick? Mm, I don't know about that. I, I think they're a, probably a little too good for that. But I mean, they could be they could be a lower lottery team. Yeah, I, I think wrong. worst case scenario like goaltending. Yeah. Is being basically right back to where they were last year. I, I think they're they're not. They have enough pieces that are good that they're not going to be in the in the Jersey, Buffalo, Detroit class. And the East. NHL isn't going to give them one of those top three picks because no. they're Carolina. They're yeah. not Jersey, Philadelphia. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I also so I think they're just going to be kind of stuck in that the teams two to four outside of the wild card picture. I think that's all they're going to be. They're like the definition of hockey purgatory. Like, you can put Carolina right in. There's not really any other team, or maybe as we get deeper into these previews, since we're only three teams deep right now, maybe I shouldn't say this, but they're certainly, of the first three teams we've done, the first one you can just sort of put right in hockey purgatory. We're not going to be bad enough to contend for the top pick, but they don't really have a realistic path to the playoffs either. Because I just look at the ceilings of the teams around them. The Islanders have a higher ceiling. The Lightning certainly have a higher ceiling. The Flyers have a higher ceiling. I just I don't see where I just I don't I just feel like there's a there's a there's a, a cap on where Carolina can be. They just don't have elite pieces really anywhere that you feel like yes that that person or those group of people can carry them up the standings. And again, they have a lot of really good teams and really young teams in front of them. And oh, by the way, they're being sold as well. Yes. So there's that, and who knows how that impacts everything for all the monies. Yeah. <laughs> Does that valuation sound high to you? Did that seem odd? It doesn't even sound real. Sound All the money. Oh, we just had an expansion team. So, yeah, yeah, you're worth $500 million. Also, I would much, much, much rather own the Vegas Golden Knights. Me too. It's like the, the guy. Hurricanes. 
it's like the guy selling the house on your street, and it's you know it's a decent house, but it doesn't have a pool or anything. It's only one floor, and he's like, well, that house down there on the same street, look how much it just sold for. But it's got like a pool and a jacuzzi and a four car garage and, and white gloves and white gloves. Oh wait, <laughs> but how do we feel about the white gloves for Vegas? They've gotten negative reviews. I'll say that Yelp has not been kind to I think the uh, to the the white gloved. Vegas Golden Knights. I think they would look better if there wasn't that red stripe next to the white gloves. The red stripe on the sleeve of the jersey. Speaking of red stripe, that's an awful beer. Oh. See, and okay. I, I don't agree with you. I, I take offense oh, About to that. what? Oh. The beer or the jersey? My family used to go to Jamaica all the time, and I like red stripes. Speaking so, of Jamaica, their bobsled team was great. Yourself. 20 well, years ago. different from mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really the theme of this show. Yes. Keep your opinions to yourself if they differ from Craig Morgan's. Uh, also on Twitter. Do you, do you guys <laughs> Craig respectfully requests that all of your opinions that don't align with his just are off Twitter. Oh, that's going to be like half of Twitter. Are you ready for that? Um, no comment. Um, anything else on the Hurricanes or Red Stripe Beer or Jamaica or their bobsled team? I'm um, so confused right now that no. Okay. Like, it's I can't good, gather all that in. And it's a good way to leave some of the so. Okay. We'll have uh, more team previews next week. We don't know who they are yet. Neither do you. So it'll it's be, a mystery. It'll be an exciting journey we can all take together. But you've thanks. Got, you've got to tune in to find out. <laughs> next week. Stay on tuned next week. Fanati Hattie. We're, we're editing that out. Are we? Yeah. No. no I think he's the one editing it. So. Yeah. That's staying in. That's going to be the whole All podcast. this is staying in. You need to perfect it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm building up to a big computer. It, it humanizes me. Try it. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. Let's try a couple more versions of that. No. We're, we're wrapping up. Uh, thanks to Tracy Myers, who was a part of whatever this is that we've been doing for the last 20 minutes. For Craig Morgan, for Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thank you for putting up with the Natural Hattrick Podcast. The Natty Hattie!